Hi, my name is John Light, and I've spent over 20 years working throughout all corners of the recruiting world. Our podcast, Drowning in the Tech Talent Pool, is a resource to help you stay afloat and get ahead of your competition. Hi, this is John Light, and you are joining us now at Drowning in the Tech Talent Pool. And as a guest today, I have with us Alice U. LeClaire, the head, make sure I get it all in there, Talent, Performance, and Culture, or Culture and Performance, at Ascendion. Alice, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to our conversation. Oh, yeah. We're going to have fun. I have been... I've talked with Alice a couple, three times now offline before this, and I could think of uh, Alice as the person you'd want to have over on game night. (laughs) She's got energy galore (laughs) and a quick wit. So we're going to have some fun, I think, with this one. No doubt. Um, Alice, why don't you get us started? I'd love to get kind of a, a picture of your career path that's taking you to where you sit now at Ascendion. And and get your perspective, if I could, bec- about Ascendion itself, because you all deal heavily in the tech talent market. So I'd like to understand your take on it and how you see things evolving as well. Uh, absolutely. I have often referred to my career as hybrid. And the reason for that is because most of my career has been outside of the people function. Um, I've reported primarily into the commercial functions or the C-suite. And I feel very fortunate about that because it wound up guiding me to where I am now, uh, which is working in the people space, working every day to elevate two growth drivers, which is engagement and mm-hmm. performance. And these these things, whether we look at that from a business perspective or an individual perspective, are are huge differentiators on um, making taking a company from from good to great. And as I look at the work that I do now and the work that I've done in the past, it's always been about growth. Mm-hmm. And that growth, of course, comes through a collection of tangible and intangible assets, whether that growth is organic or inorganic, depending on your company's strategy. But you fundamentally come back to the same strategic pillars, I find. What is unique about my current role and the reason why I joined my, the, my current employer is because I wanted to be directly involved with embellishing, enhancing, and advancing the careers of people who were passionate about technology. Um, I have utmost respect for all kinds of products currently in the marketplace, but in terms of my own development and my own interests, I really wanted to be at a place where digital engineering could radiate. So Mm -hmm. I could not have landed in in a more ideal spot with Ascendion because it is Exactly from a people function perspective, it is that beautiful talent constellation that thrives in a environments of curiosity and creativity and vision. And we have a strong one at Ascendion. It is to become the world's foremost ally to enterprise leaders seeking to mm-hmm. elevate their business with software. 
something that we often say in Ascendion is that our lives run on software. And, and anyone who wants to challenge that, I, I go to the same two questions. Okay, well, what is what, what meeting do you have um, next week at 10 a.m.? Can't use software, but don't use software. Just tell me. And also, what is your cousin's phone number? Don't look at your phone, but you got to tell me. And I, I, I have seen through multi-generations, whether it's my mother moving from writing physical checks to looking at accounts online mm-hmm. to, to Gen Z, um, where, they've never, where they've never touched an ATM. Our lives, in fact, do run on software. And so at Ascendion, what we do is we become allies, and we use that word very specifically. We become allies to our clients and our people and the communities in which we serve by optimizing, creating, enhancing, and enriching beautiful software and technology because this is how we upgrade as a society. Well, there's a tag in talent constellation. I don't think I've heard that term, at least not in a long time, but thank you for the introduction and thank you for delivering on the expectations I set about being quick and witty. <laughs> that was pretty eloquent as well. So, um, Alice, tell me a little bit too. I mean, so you're sitting in a role right now where you have talent, culture, and performance all wrapped up in the title. Now, Look, you and I know sometimes titles don't mean a whole lot. Sometimes they mean a tremendous amount. Tell us a little bit about, you know, that that uh, convergence, if I can put it that way, of those three things and, and the prism that Ascendion looks at that through, right? So when you, and what I'm trying to find out is when you go and you have to acquire talent or attract talent and then onboard these people and, and help them be successful, What's the prism or the lens that you look through and how these three different areas kind of come together to, to um, make it make sense? That's a great question. I would say it just because I, I do tend to index into, into the commercial side of things. A third of our, of our clients that Ascendion are, um, they're, they're fortune companies, excuse me. About a third of the Fortune 100 are uh-huh. Ascendion clients. So when we think about somebody who will thrive as an ascender from a talent, culture, and performance perspective, client delight is something that we look for to, to exist at, at their heart. Mm-hmm. And what are some of the leading indicators on, on client delight? Um, our leading indicators come through our four core values. And those four core values are what we look to in terms of making decisions, in terms of taking action, and in terms of, of hiring, as well as standing up commercial, robust commercial outcomes. And so mm-hmm. what are those four core values? And I'll be, I'll be referring to them a lot, actually, through this conversation. Number one is boldly optimistic. Number two is relentlessly curious. Number three is deeply empathetic, and number four is an ally to clients and our people. And so while that client delight cultivation is something that works with uh, very well in terms of stakeholdership, in terms of growth, in terms of strategic work streams, there's also something to be said about being an ally to the talent base. That, from a tech 
perspective and from an engineering excellence perspective, we cultivate and bring to life through a strategy and a reality that we call circles. Mm-hmm. Our ascendion circles are organized by engineering domain. So we have seven of them. Platform, health tech, experience, emerging tech, quality, mm-hmm. enterprise, and data and AI. Within each of those circles, you have a borderless community of passionate digital engineers who are driven to become a master of their craft. And that craft mastery pursuit is what, to answer your question, we really look at, if not scrutinize, for points of passion through the interview process, throughout their development with us, as they grow and as they deliver. Because that idea of being a master of one's craft can apply anywhere to anything. Mm -hmm. If you are a singer, if you are a chef, if you are a people function leader, the idea of mastery is this fantastic North Star. And where we take it to next level in Ascendion with these borderless communities, which we call circles, is also a peer and domain mentorship model where these communities support, enable, and empower each other to upskill, to develop, to certify, to develop global levels of engagement, celebrate and recognize all of the things that the the data around Mm -hmm. engagement tells us leads a person to an outstanding employee experience. And this is very much the case with, with our approach as well. Wow. Okay. There's a lot of words in there uh, to parse through, but I am curious to know, before I say I am curious to know, (laughs) because one of your, one of your core values that popped out there was relentless curiosity. Yes. And, you know, funny enough, um, there was a search we just finished uh, a month or so ago where the leading part of the assessment, and I wrote it for the, for the client, uh, was that this person has this natural um, and relentless curiosity about him, you know? And I mean, this is a, this is a candidate who he was the kid in high school who won the science fair four years in a row, you know, and it wasn't because he was going to Hobby Lobby or someplace and grabbing a kit. I mean, he was doing stuff, uh, that was innovative and interesting and obviously, you know, quite well done, but it's just, you know, one of those people that I, I need, I need to know why I don't necessarily need all the accoutrements. I just, I have to understand why this happens. Um, I'm curious because you know, when you participated in uh, a survey we did at, toward the end of last year, I think it was in November of, of uh, 22, mm-hmm. when we were asking, you know, what are the biggest challenges that talent acquisitions facing and CHROs and CPOs are, have identified from a KPI perspective. And the biggest ones we had on there were uh, quality of hire and time to fill Mm-hmm. Um, I am curious to know, because it's clear you've really got uh, the context down. You know, like if you come to into a Cindy on this is the journey that's going to be, and this is you know going to be your circle where where you develop yeah. and grow and deliver. Um, I am curious if that's something. You know, obviously it's implemented company wide. 
but is that something that you've seen have an impact on the ability to fill roles in a timely fashion, on the quality of hire, you know, the, addressing those big pain points, what are you all doing? Nothing confidential, obviously, but, but how is that working out compared to say experiences in the past, either at Ascendion or at other companies where maybe those two items were really bad pain points? I mean, I'm trying to understand, okay, this is all great. How does this impact the organization from that perspective? I'm going to answer your question, and that's that's an excellent question. I'm going to answer your question by taking a, a step back and and looking mm-hmm. at the the organizations that I've worked in over the the past ten years, because there's an interesting conversation happening in real time mm-hmm. as the world emerges in full from. 2020 through 2023 through the through the current right. era as it were we learned a lot as a global business community we we learned new questions to your point around curiosity when it came to hiring and when it came to retention and when it came to a successful onboarding of somebody who's new to your organization and who's new to your culture. What I have found, and what, even though the organizations that I've worked in have been quite different in terms of their their value proposition, thematically what's been, I think, universally uh, successful is creating a sense of, of community for people because okay. we bring our whole selves to work. We don't just segmentize our our mentality and our physical health and we're able to pick and choose what comes to work. Everything comes to work. And mm-hmm. so when it comes to hiring and these these two points that you mentioned in terms of time to fill, and I think the other was was cost of hire. Quality of, quality of hire. Quality, excuse me, thank yeah. you. And, and quality of hire, the more effectively that we can create community for those hires, the more effectively that we can create proof point to candidate mm-hmm. that they would be coming not into not only into an organization of a certain of certain products, of certain growth uh, percentages, of of certain uh, core values, but also material descriptions of the communities that they would be part of and how those communities, which now I will make it about Ascendion, mm-hmm. are underpinned by a spirit of craft mastery. And so this way, from a quality and timing perspective, there's already a shared conversation, a shared playbook in terms of the direction for this candidate. This candidate mm-hmm. we're taking purposefully in a direction of craft mastery in their chosen craft, as well as community. Do these things have commercial viability? This is what I'm referring to in terms of the interesting real-time conversation happening right now. We're seeing more and more the importance of company culture to people, whether they're a candidate or whether they're somebody 25 years in their organization, how they experience their job is a reflection of the culture. 
and a reflection of the culture is the mirror of truth of what is allowed to reign. Not R-A-I-N, but R-E-I-G-N, <laughs> just to be fair. Um, and Right now, and, I'd appreciate some rain over here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and so one of the, something that I actually take a lot of delight in thinking about is in addition to the fundamental truths that are that are that make a company culture of vital importance for many people whether it's a client or a candidate that is more and more going to become a deciding factor on whether they choose you that mm -hmm. is more and more going to be a deciding factor on whether you are the good company or whether you are the great company on whether you're the just enough just good enough company or right. you are the better company or if you're it's a subtle four company. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, in my, my conversations to travels over the years, I've never, I've never really bought into the idea of culture of this massive definition that you might find in college or in a master's program. I've always kind of simplified it down uh, for me. And that culture is how we go about our business. It's how we go about things in life. You know, you talk about bringing your whole self and that makes a lot of sense. I notice right now, I would put money right now if I were a betting person, and I'm not, that you're sitting on a yoga ball chair or some whatever the ball is. Uh, so it's too bad you're not a betting person, but you are, because you are correct. I am sitting on a fitness ball as my and, chair. And that is part of bringing, right, some of that yourself to work, right? That's part of what you do, and, it, and there's some fitness involved in it. I would totally fall off and bust my head, but that's another story for another day. Um, I think I'd you're not giving yourself enough credit, but, but okay. Yeah, I, mean, I would crush the ball. So I'd fall straight down and not backwards. <laughs> yeah. But you know, it's, it's interesting because I've always spent time over the years tracking fall off rates and other things that are relevant to, to my business, uh, as a headhunter. And for years, I've kept my fall off rate south of 4%. Mm -hmm. And it's always been a kind of a point of pride in a way, um, but a big part of doing that has been realizing that you can't take a person who does things one direction and that's how they do it. And I, I don't care if it's they run around with their hair on fire or if they're very methodical or whatever it might be and put them in a company that's a complete opposite. Because when you do that, you're doing a disservice because now the candidate, the employee is spending a lot of energy being what they think they want that they need to be rather than being who they are and rather than burning that energy on executing their tasks and their projects and, and learning and growing, they're burning it. Let me keep my boss happy. And I think that's really, it's done a lot from my perspective in the processes I go through, but it sounds like to me, you have a lot of that going on there at Ascendion too, in that you have the community uh, idea out there where you're bringing people in to we're like-minded and we want to be excellent over time. You know, no one's excellent right out of the gate. Um, everybody makes is going to make mistakes. But over time, you develop those crafts. You develop the craft and you develop the skills and, and become something more. So suppose you have something, someone who has become something. Then what? You know, where do they go now? Or how does, how do you lever that as an organization if you, bring in a very experienced hire who's really excellent at their craft, or uh, if you have someone new come in and you develop them over years and they become superb, what do you do with them next? It's a partnership, mm -hmm. to be completely honest. It's, it's 
it's not so much of what what we we do with them, though I do understand what what you mean. It, it's a partnership in terms of what their aspiration is, and and one of the the beautiful things about about digital um, engineering is that you can go in a number of different directions as you master that craft. Mm-hmm. You may be the the type of digital engineer that that thrives in being somebody who who tucks into patent. Mm-hmm. Um, being that thought leader, uh, being that IP um, master, you may conversely thrive in grooming young people fresh out of college in their first job in engineering. Mm-hmm. And what brings you incredible um, satisfaction and what intrinsically motivates you to your to your example of of many years under your belt is is learning from them and enabling them to have great success in their first engineering role. I'll also say that in this partnership that we have with very experienced ascenders is that being in enterprise software and technology is that this is a this is a <laughs> these are fields that that never slow down That's there's the never enough expertise and it's only getting faster i mean yeah. just wait till till quantum computing really hits us i mean it's just i mean and whether it's the 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 world economic forum or 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 satya nadella i mean they, there's always going to be wonderful, qualified, strong voices that champion talent in software and tech and the need for more of it. I'd also like to um, refer back to something you mentioned earlier, um, mm-hmm. which is is the idea that, that because uh, I, I agreed with you, and that's why I'm bringing it up again, culture is going through a rebranding. When, when we hear that word, mm-hmm. um, there, there is the, the more traditional that kind of gives people uh, vibrations of, of the, this idea of, you know, air quote, corporate culture. Yeah. The rebranding is, is something very, very different. The rebranding of culture in companies is the, the degree to which your values are manifested in what people see, feel, and experience. And coming to work, okay, and that is something that I think even even the most skeptical people uh, of, of of culture, and I'm not saying you're a skeptical person. I'm just saying from from right, the more right. traditional, you know, people H- who go, well, that HR, doesn't matter. Just yeah, do your job, sort of folks, exactly. Yeah. Um, there there is there's a lot of attention, and I think appropriately so, on the fact that we spend so much time at work. And so what is that experience? Well, that experience comes about by way of the company's culture. Yeah. Yeah. And you've got a, I think a very salient point. I've made it for years. Uh, and I used to sit down with candidates and when we were talking about how you conduct yourself in an interview and we're prepping them up, I always would tell them, remember there's 160 hours, eight hours in a week. You're going to spend a third of that, you know, let's just say, you know, 50 or so hours sleeping. 
Um, and if the weather's really hot, who knows, you may not sleep at all. You may just stay up and sweat. You know, and it could be whatever it is. <laughs> but you're going to spend, if you're going to back then, you were going in an office, you're going to spend at least 40 hours a week working. But when you add in time around the water cooler or getting started or waiting for another meeting or whatever it might be, maybe that's more like 45, 50 hours a week. Yeah. That's almost as much time as you spend to sleep. And then when you factor in your commute, and if you go to a gym and train or go, you know, have some other hobby on the side or a second job, it shortchanges your family in terms of time you have available to do things. You may not even have energy for it because you're spending energy in so many other places. And so I tell people, when you go into an interview, you need to absolutely, totally be yourself. Yes. Because number one, you don't want to put up a facade and have mismanaged expectations going in. And number two, it helps the interviewer open up and be themselves, ideally. Uh, so it gives you an idea of what you're going to be dealing with. And that's, to me, that's so basic and so automatic after all these years, but I see it all the time where people, myself included in everyday life, sometimes we'll put up a facade because we want to avoid an issue or we want to be a people pleaser uh, or we just, I'm too exhausted to deal with this right now. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's a real challenge. And I think the cultural alignment and truly understanding, or at least having a strong sense of what it is from, in my case, for a client and your case for a Cindyon, but also figuring it out for the candidate that you or I might interview and making sure those align. There is such value in that, Alice. I don't even know how to quantify it. I don't know that you can quantify it, but it's going to improve your quality of hire. It's going to improve how long people stay with you and the quality of their work. It's going to improve how they relate with people in a company because you like you want your your team members to at least respect one another, if not like one another. Yep. Um, so I think you know you say rebranding. I I can't disagree with that. Although I think it maybe it goes even a little bit deeper in that where people are no longer accepting. Uh, a glossy definition because it's not free bagels and coffee every Friday morning. That, it, yes, um, times a million. And one of the things that I feel incredibly, genuinely fortunate about being um, part of part of Ascendion is that all the way to the top, they mm -hmm. don't see our values as motivational posters. They Good. see the values as a way for every ascender, no matter their tenure or, or level or title, to contribute to the culture. And so as we say in our, in our Ascendion culture playbook, our values are the seed. Our culture is the garden. Okay. Those values are unchanging. They are the seeds. Empathy, curiosity, optimism, and allyship. These are the things that we don't get to decide what, what they, what they mean or, or what those definitions are. And we are mm -hmm. unwaveringly committed to those being our values. Now, how they manifest in our day to day interactions with one another, with our clients, with our candidates and stakeholders, that is the garden of our culture. And we're all in the garden together, and we all have a part to play in whether 
bringing people through the garden is a beautiful experience, whether we're mastering our craft within that garden, whether we are creating and communicating and including others to help beautify the garden that is our Ascendion culture. And it is, it is a journey. It's not that you take some snapshot and you say, all right, well, on this day, the culture is this, and it's, it's mm-hmm. this perpetuity. There's how many business cases out there that you and I are probably well familiar with at this point of what happens when one person, two people do not find alignment with the values, and then how quickly that takes yeah. a cascading effect on the culture. So this is something of a, of, of a, a top-level priority for our organization, that as people, to your earlier point, actually around people who are well-experienced and are growing and, and accelerating in their careers with Ascendion, we also have what we call a culture impact quadrant. Hmm. And on the quadrant, it is with increased political and relationship capital in the organization comes greater impact and accountability for the culture. It's not that only with political and relationship capital you impact the culture. Everybody impacts the culture. But within the quadrant, there is an increase that we want to, uh, that we communicate, that we emphasize, and that we may actually make a part of our promotions process for executives roles. Wow. All right. Well, you and I will have to circle back uh, outside of this and quietly chat about how you measure that and sure. and that sort of thing, because that's that's interesting. But I want to change gears just a little bit. Sure. Just a little bit. I have to do a I have an upcoming presentation I got to do for the local chapter of the Financial Executives Networking Group. And I was invited now, you know. My firm, Sabretooth, we're tech-centric, but originally as a headhunter, I did a lot of finance and accounting, and I have a relationship with the president of the chapter, and he asked me to come in and do a presentation on AI and its impact on recruiting, you know, because there are a lot of people sitting back going, oh, yeah, man, I can, I only need one recruiter on one HR person or whatever it might be instead of 10 or whatever the number is. Because now I have this super powerful AI that will go out and snatch candidates out of the ether and place them into my open roles. And I won't have to pay anybody anything and it'll be all exciting. Now, you and I know that's, you know, pretty silly. Um, and it's not particularly informed, you know, because when you look at AI, especially generative AI, it's got a ways to go. Mm-hmm. And it's always going to need guide rails or guardrails. Yeah. Um, You know, uh, we have the ATS we use, we have the ability to use uh, ChatGPT to go in and build an outreach campaign. But when you go read the campaign after, you know, you put a job uh, specs in and some other information, it pops up emails and texts and all this. And you look at it and you go, this is so spammy or this is so whatever. And you have to go fix things. But I've always looked at AI as a way for us to be more focused on what we do well, because as you know, from a talent acquisition recruiting perspective, parts of that job are just tedious. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the the hardest things to enforce when I was uh, leading teams and big companies with these big ATSs was, did you put your activity in? Did you record this? Did you put notes in? Did you, oh no, I wrote it on, po- and I used to be one of the worst offenders is, 
No, it's on this pink post-it note right over here. (laughs) 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 And I would have pink and blue and green and yellow post-it notes all over my desk. And I've got a picture somewhere and it looks like, you know, a rainbow fish or whatever it was with all the different colors from the the children's book. It was your bespoke burn down chart. Yeah. You you know, branding's everything. So it was my own AI (laughs) post-it note, right? So I'm really curious though. I mean, and I'm asking this because you're sitting uh, at a firm where you have a circle, you have a group that's focused on data and AI and machine learning. I am curious to know or get your thoughts on how you see generative AI that's coming out right now, ChatGBT and, and others, uh, and its impact on, from a corporate perspective, on your ability to recruit. Now, negative or positive or less of something or more of something, whatever it might be, I'm, I'm kind of neutral on it, but I'm curious to see what you, if you're looking down the road, hey, how is this going to change how we go about our business, what we're doing day to day, and also perhaps strategically going forward uh, versus where we are right now? This is a great question. I mean, all of your questions have been great, but uh, this one in particular, of, of course, has been has been lighting up uh, people function leader space and and the tech space, the software space, right. what have you. And I am perfectly comfortable saying I'm not entirely sure because <laughs> I want to let the I want to let the conversations and the betas happen. Right. I am enjoying the the ride so far of being a generative AI consumer. I am excited by the things that I see happening in our Ascendion labs um, for the for the purpose of generative incorporating generative AI. Mm-hmm. Um, but but beyond that, I think there's a lot that we don't know and that we should admit that we don't know. And what an interesting time for us, um, members of the global of, of the of the global business community, to have this opportunity to play around and, to your exact points, call out the things that are, that are not correct, right. cite the things that are either biased or discriminatory, or to use your word, spammy. And it is through that embrace of this technology and the feedback around it and the discussion forums, quality discussion forums, that it will be refined and better Mm -hmm. designed. So in a very futuristic way, I say, now is the time for us to partner with generative AI and thrive in its innovation capability, but not rely on it at this stage Right. Um, and I and I feel like that that's the, the nature of your of your of your sentiment as well. It's it's that, you know, the advice is not, well, let let's throw everything at it and, and put up our feet. But um, it. Let's throw all of our curiosity, our relentless mm-hmm. curiosity even at this, because from a digital engineering perspective, this is going to create wonderful things that will push boundaries that currently exist now and help us optimize in a way that I do believe will open up currently closed energy sources for creativity and Mm -hmm. human connection. 
which I know sounds a bit counterintuitive and or ironic, but I but I fundamentally believe that that by going in partnership with generative AI, we will actually create work that is more creative, that is more human centric, and that is more connected on a personal level. I think you and I would probably be saying about the same thing, but in different verbiage. Um, I think it's going to allow us to get more specialized. Mm-hmm. I think the tedious work I referred to earlier, um, over time, that workload will shrink. Um, but by allowing us to be more of when I say specialize, I'm talking about allowing us to be more of what we are, you know, to play to our strengths, right? I mean, if we spend all of our time working on our weakness or doing the things we're not good at, um, using post-it notes. I was very good at post-it notes. It was the rest of it I wasn't good with. Um, Then I'm putting that energy into being creative and innovative in things that I do well. And I can be more. Now, what does that allow me or someone else to do? I think there's a lot of fear out there and a lot of concern behind the idea that we're going to replace or displace a lot of people by eliminating their jobs and handing it to AI. And I think there's going to be some of that. But when it comes to things like recruitment, I think there's always going to have to be a human touch. You know, I had a, I'm not going to name names, but I had a conversation, I don't know, two or three months ago with a very academically minded person. And we were debating uh, the candidate experience between contingent recruitment and retained recruitment. And he posited that if I'm a candidate, I want to maximize my value in the marketplace. And that, right. if that means I need to have my resume to a thousand companies and interview with a hundred of them, that's okay. I'm going to maximize my value. And the the fly in the ointment, the hole in the, the boat, whatever it is, you want to, however you want to look at it in that, is that everybody's unique and we want to make our own decisions, our own choices. And you know what? I might be willing to take a job that pays something less because I value the experience more or I place a higher value on the cultural uh, fit for me. I mean, being burnt out and making more money is not a good combination. Being happy and making a little bit less and being able to get up in the morning and say, I'm excited to go in. That's got some value to it. So I think there's always going to, we're always going to need that because I think we're still quite a ways away from AI developing individual empathy and, and its ability to interact. I think there's a ways to go with that and it, it may never be there because it's, does it have emotion? I mean, I guess you could program it for emotion, but it doesn't have it per se. And that's, that's qualitatively unique. Yeah, I, I. I'm, f- I'm following everything that you're saying, and and maybe one of the the ways that that people it enrolls like you and I have mm-hmm. when when we find ourselves in these conversation, um, I, I, I is to remind people of a more panoramic view of of what AI can do. And what I mean mm-hmm. by that is, yes, it, it will have an impact on jobs. I, I, I'm not sure. going to, to... And it'll create um, some new ones, too. Yes. I, I'm not going to deny anybody who's feeling 
uh, fearful about the impact it will have on jobs. I, I you know, I'm not going to deny anybody that, but I will also pair in that conversation the incredible opportunities that AI brings to us in other ways. Um, the ability to just just take Google DeepMind as an example, mm-hmm. their their AlphaFold project um, and and their protein discoveries and their their physical property uh, modeling that they're doing now. I mean, the, these are things that will address everything from drug discovery to um, breaking down plastics in the ocean. And these these machines will be able to resolve that and address that and work through that in ways that human beings are because we got to yeah. sleep, we got to eat, we get we get tired, and we get you know. But what? the machines do not. Well, 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 some of us get tired. <laughs> Maybe you don't. Yeah, right. Um, and and so yes, there there is. <laughs> The coin has two sides. Um, yeah. Physical coin. I got to be, yeah, all my analogies, I'm, I'm dating myself. The physical <laughs> coin will always have two sides. And 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 so too, with with any technological innovation and advancement, in, w- in which case AI is a, a substantial one, but there are, there and there are some, some gnarly players out there, but there's also some incredibly ethical oh, yeah. ones. And they will bring us to the new spaces and places that we as a society will need. So I think it is a, I think it's a fair concern. I think it's a, and people should be vocal and open about, about what they're, what they're um, feeling anxious over. But there's also a beautiful world to, to bring into the conversation with regards to this, Mm -hmm. um, to AI capability. And I, for one, am excited to see how what those yields will oh, be. Oh, I'm excited and I think it's going to be a great ride. Um and I also think just like a roller coaster, you know, some people go on a roller coaster and they enjoy it. my oldest daughter who has horrible eyesight. Yeah. I feel terrible for her sometimes. She's very nearsighted. Absolutely completely utterly in love with roller coasters. Every time I get in one, I am terrified that I'm the biggest guy on it and I'm going to get flung out. I mean, it's just, it, it, I don't know why it's just, it, it, it's like, in fact, I was on one of those ones that go up and down and just spin. It wasn't even a roller coaster at a carnival one time when uh, my son was young and when the yeah. ride stopped, when the ride stopped, I got out and I had a cramp in one arm and my neck was hurting on the other where I'd put my arm across his chest and pin him in and the other hand I was holding onto the rail. Uh, for dear life, because I just knew that thing was going to come off of the bolt or the harness and we were going to bounce across the the concrete. Um, but my oldest daughter loves it. And I think this is going forward. That's part of what's going to be going on. Um, I think some people are going to be terrified and some people are going to eagerly embrace. Um, or as I heard one person put it, you know, some of us will not welcome and others will welcome our new AI overlords. So he put it. <laughs> Wow. I don't think it's going to be that extreme by any stretch, but I do think, you know, it's going to be a time of having people who are thinking, you know, what am I going to do next? So I had a candidate last year. Uh, we weren't able to, he, he didn't fit the role we were working on at the time, uh, but he went in after that and basically sold everything he had and developed his own AI. And he found his unique niche. You think about call centers and all this, that's fine and data. He found a niche in the cannabis industry for his AI. 
So if a person walks into a dispensary and interacts with a kiosk to order stuff, uh, his AI would be uh, is what drives it and drives the conversation and the selection of product and all this. Now, I don't indulge. I'd prefer to go indulged at a barbecue place and have burnt ends and ribs, and I'm a happy camper. Um, but what was interesting to me is here's a guy who is sitting there. He doesn't have a formal education. He self-educated everything from Python and R and, and, and so on and so forth and developed himself into a developer of AI. And now he's got a company with a whole bunch of contracts out there with a niche industry out of the blue in a, in a few months. And to me, there's a pioneering spirit or there ought to be at least in a segment of the market that let's go embrace the roller coaster ride. And yeah, there's going to be parts where you're going downhill and you're like, I'm going to die. But there's going to be parts where you're sitting on top of the world too. And you're getting the, this vista that is exhilarating and exciting and prepares you for something more. You know, I yeah, that, that's where my mind is on it. And I know that's kind of, you know, pie in the sky in a sense of, you know, maybe it's a little too idealistic, but. No, 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 no not at all. Not at all. And, and here's why. Be, because the machines have already been, the machines have already been learning from us for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um so, so when we when when we take an Uber ride, there there isn't some hamster in the background like bringing the piece of paper to the driver and saying go go pick up this person at this address. That, that hamster's I mean, probably we're, very tired. <laughs> we're put. I mean, right? we we are we have been putting information. We've been putting data into the machines oh, for quite a while. Quite a while yeah. now, and now the machines are learning and becoming intelligent around the things that we have been freely uh, sharing, uploading, backing up, and and entering. And this, by the way, to, to bring us back into the, the, an idea of craft mastery, um, that in and of itself is, is a way of mastering craft. Mm-hmm. You do the things. And then you refine the things and you improve the things from that with which you're learning. And from the very first computers that took up entire buildings, they, in their own way, were taking those inputs and helping us to learn from the Mm -hmm. way that computer was designed and programmed to learn. So I, I, um, I'm on the side of I love the I love roller coasters. <laughs> uh, I I don't I'm not a post-it notes person, and we're gonna we're gonna have a side conversation <laughs> about that. Unfortunately, we don't have time to talk about that I'm, now. I'm, by but, the way, I am I'm yeah. a recovering post note holic, and I have none on my desk right now in front of me. I do have a spiral notebook just so I can jot stuff down when I need to, but I have, yeah, I'm, I'm post-it note less right now. I have, I have so many, but I have so many questions for you on that. And and we will, we will (laughs) pick up on that through another conversation. I'm so curious. So, okay. Next to last question or or close to it. Who knows? Uh, It could go on for a while. Yeah. Impact specifically on day-to-day life and talent acquisition, internal to a company, external like I am, 
of AI over the next year or two? What do you, what do you, how do you see it or do you see it having much? I, I know the, the answer could be, well, it's, it's a fun journey. Let's see what happens. But I'm curious what you've seen specifically or expect to see specifically that might change a little bit how, about how we go about the talent acquisition uh, game, so to speak. Most of the changes, I think, have been in front of us for a while. Mm-hmm. And from the pandemic, those conversations have been accelerated, as an example. Pre-COVID, there was already a conversation that when you're attracting talent and, and acquiring talent, the conversation is no longer around whether they will um, be in the organization for the, for the next 40, 50 years mm-hmm. of their career um, and, and working for uh, the gold watch, as it were. The other thing that I find to have been accelerated by the ten- pandemic is the idea of how one progresses in their career. Mm-hmm. The old model is that it's a it's a staircase or it's a ladder. Uh, the new model is that it's more of a climbing wall. And it's about the attainment of skills. It's about exposure to certain bodies of work and projects that enhance those skills and master those skills that then can be applied into jobs that have more responsibility. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that, from a, to, your, to your point around the talent acquisition and, and new models and how we look at this, there's already companies who have modeling around predicting success in role. And they yep. do these tests from um, an IQ perspective and an EQ perspective. I have the feeling that those will be revised and rewritten for the new era that is generative AI. I also think that they will be designed to look at a shorter span of time in the role for which you're hiring that person for, especially in the entry-level roles. We have... Research that tells us and everyday life that tells us that the younger generations want to move and grow and accelerate and advance Mm -hmm. at a healthy clip. And they're not going to be satisfied with anything less. So as we lean in and listen and learn from those voices, for the entry to mid-level roles, I do believe generative AI can introduce us to some new types of metrics and models and predictive assessments versus if you're hiring for an executive vice president of merger and acquisition strategy, mm-hmm. as an example. So, um, and I'm not suggesting that those, that the current, the current assessments are the same. I, I'm not suggesting that at all. Of course, they're currently very different. But what I am saying is that we want to take a look at trends that are coming to the forefront now in terms of the way people want to work, the way they derive satisfaction in the work that they're doing, Mm -hmm. and the cadence with which they want to feel as though they can 
be reminded and refreshed that they are contributing to the broader picture, that they are contributing in ways that matter. This is why when we hire people and we answer the questions around, and they, they tend to be very similar questions, what is the career path like? What is the culture like? Right. What are the performance expectations? To your earlier point about being honest and being ourselves, that is something that actually, from a quantitative perspective, AI can help give us those, 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 those gems in the conversation. Mm -hmm. But then with the human touch of the human that actually works in the organization day in and day out and talks to other humans in the organization day, day in and day out, it's a perfect coupling of how the future of hiring can use an AI-backed approach as well as a human touch approach to make an intelligent decision yeah. on both sides of the table on whether that person will thrive for that role during that period of the company's evolution. Interesting. That's a lot. That's a mouthful. That's a, that is a whole conversation in and of itself to, to go through how that is going to work. And wait, it's, you know what it's going to get really crazy? When the candidate brings in a device connected to their smartphone, somehow wrapping in AI to determine whether or not they want to work for the company using the flip side of that criteria. Because yeah. I really think one of the beauties of AI, maybe not this year or next year or even in the next decade, but at some point, like smartphones, it'll be ubiquitous <laughs> and it'll have personas based on the user um, or whoever it is assisting. And that's, like I said, that's me on the roller coaster looking down the precipice going, oh man, I'm in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> well, consider me sitting there next to you saying, eh, you're fine. Well, if you see me lift out of the seat, just push me back down and we'll see if I make it through the, to the ride. <laughs> Alice Euleclaire at Ascendian, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure. Um, I got a feeling we have more conversations in our future. Uh, it's I hope it's so. been fun. And uh, thank you for carving out the time. I know uh, it's busy at Ascendian and that you have a lot going on, but uh, this has been, there's, I think there's a lot of, of, of little nuggets of great gold in here uh, for people to dive into. And I, I really appreciate you sharing it with me and with our audience. You've been listening to Drowning in the Tech Talent Pool. This podcast is sponsored by Sabretooth. Sabretooth improves the quality of hire and speeds up the time to fill specialized machine learning, data engineering, data science, and developer roles, stretching tech recruiting budgets further by bringing the precision of retained search and the speed of contingent search to the market in one complete solution. Find out more at sbr2th.com and follow me, John Light, on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.